when it comes to entrepreneurship or entrepreneurial projects, one of the things that I think we focus on a lot is financial runway, right? Do we have enough financial runway to get a project off the ground or a product off the ground or a team off the ground? But the thing that we, we are now starting to realize coming out of the pandemic that we have to pay equal, if not more attention to, is what I call emotional runway. The Medical Alley podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. For over 20 years, the healthcare industry's largest companies have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision while designing and developing innovative digital products. Whether you're powering a medical device, overhauling your backend architecture, or reimagining your patient experience, MentorMate can help. The global team takes a personalized and in-depth approach to deliver secure solutions in all sectors of healthcare. With deep expertise in design, development, cloud, and software support, MentorMate helps healthcare clients administer state-of-the-art care through technology. Trusted guidance, global expertise, secure integration. MentorMate delivers digital transformation at scale. Learn more at MentorMate.com. So welcome to the Medical Alley podcast. I am Bobby Dressen, President and CEO of Medical Alley, and I am excited today to talk to Sunil Gupta. As the founding CEO of RISE, a breakthrough wellness company, Sunil Gupta helped thousands of people build better habits for life and work. Now as a best-selling author, host of an American Express docuseries and podcast, and visiting scholar at Harvard Medical School, Sunil has taken his mission one step further, helping organizations and teams reach peak performance by lifting their people's emotional resilience. We're thrilled to have you on the podcast today and excited to have you as the keynote speaker for our upcoming Medical Alley Healthcare Transformation Summit in February 2023. Bobby, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm so looking forward to our event in February and to our conversation right now. Thank you. I am too. You know, in the introduction, I outlined many of your most recent and current endeavors as an author, an entrepreneur, and an educator. Can you talk with us today about the work and life experiences that were most influential in helping shape the leader you are today? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think most influential uh, for me is really 10 years ago when I started a company called Rise. And what, what we did with Rise was one-on-one -on -one health coaching. Uh, so if you joined the service, you joined through your mobile phone, we matched you to a health coach that fit your needs, what you were trying to do with your health. Um, and this would be somebody who was most likely a registered dietitian uh, who would work with you one-on-one -on -one to get you into a, a, really a better place, right? W whether that be getting better sleep, eating better, having a better physical routine. And, you know, one of the things that I sort of noticed at that time was that, you know, as a startup, what you rely on more than anything else uh, are the stories, the stories of the people who are using your service. Because you don't have millions of data points the way you would if you were a big technology company. So what I found myself doing day in and day out is really just pouring over these stories, what was happening with our customers, our patients, the people we worked with. And one of the things that I, I started to realize is that people who are writing in who had achieved their health goals, um, very rarely were they writing in to say, I fit better into my genes. 
or, you know, I can run faster. What they were typically writing in to say is, I feel like a better leader. I feel like a better manager. I feel more creative, more productive. I feel like a better parent, a better spouse. And what that started to impress on me, Bobby, at the time, which has really kind of been the unifying insight of all my work, is that work and well-being are not separate. If you don't feel good, you're not going to do your best work. But on the other hand, if you feel great, then you can do the best work you you possibly could imagine, right? Those two things are sort of related. And yet, if you look at our work, you look at the world that we sort of come in conditioned to live in, work and well-being have been separated in a really big way, right? We're sort of in a, we're we're kind of, we've kind of been conditioned to almost in some ways earn our well-being, you know, do enough work and then you can squeeze in time for a workout or get a good night's sleep. But we've ignored the fact that both of these things are actually essential for sustained success. If, if you don't have a state of well-being, if you don't feel good, then you can't possibly be performing at the level that you want to be performing at. And that affects everything else around you, whether that be your personal life and your professional life. So my work has really now been about this interconnection between work and well-being and really kind of starting to recondition the companies and the leaders that I work with away from seeing these two things as separate, but rather seeing them as intimately connected when it comes to human performance. So so when you think about that, Sunil, you know, when you look at your company, I think of it as truly being something transformational because you were starting to put a light on um, how to look at things differently. What do you think are the most meaningful ways that healthcare leaders and companies can make a difference today, knowing what you know, both through the work that you do, the, you know, the book that you wrote, your research, and the evolution of RISE? Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that, first of all. I really, I really appreciate that. You know, the, the healthcare and mobile have sort of gone through a revolution over the past several years where companies like Rise are, are, are out there now. But in 2012, when we started, it was, it was relatively new. It, in fact, it was so new that, you know, Apple asked me to come to headquarters and present to, at that time, Tim Cook and his senior team on really what, what it is that we were doing because they hadn't really seen anything that was doing exactly what we were trying to achieve. And and that, as you know, being so close to the startup community is is can be both a positive and it can also be a lift because being first at anything, you have to convince the people around you uh, that what you're doing matters. And 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 that and that I think is really sort of the answer, I think, to your question too, Bobby, which is, you know, I think as healthcare leaders in and organizations, we're constantly trying to figure out how to how to change something that needs to be changed, right? And in order to it's do true. that, we are constantly coming up with great ideas, ideas that could be revolutionary. Sometimes I think we make the mistake of believing that just because an idea is good, uh, that's all it requires in order for it to become a reality. And 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 we all know that great ideas can be dismissed. It, it happens all the time. Look, there were executives inside the finance industry that came up with Venmo before Venmo. There were hospitality executives that came up with the idea for Airbnb before Airbnb. Uh, people inside Blockbuster came up with the idea for Netflix before Netflix. These were great ideas, but they weren't able to be pushed forward. And that all goes to say that that there is another skill set that goes deeper than just coming up with a great idea. And that skill set is around rallying people around us, whether that be the patients, that be providers, that be partners or payers, 
rallying the people around us in order to believe in that idea and then creating what I what I call momentum behind that idea. Because again, something can can make a lot of sense off the ground, right? It can mm-hmm. make a lot of sense in the beginning. But then we all are familiar with big projects that sort of lift off the ground with a lot of enthusiasm. And then they not only had to start the momentum, but how to keep the momentum. Yeah. Well, and as you say that, as you know, you look at startups, you think of the number of times they have to pivot, right? I mean, I think that's the biggest frustration for young entrepreneurs is they have a vision and the passion in their heart. And then they have to pivot because of business reasons, because you have to keep at the end of the day, finding the pull through and uh, they don't want to lose what they originally set out to do. And so it's how they keep that momentum as you reference it, as well as keep their passion alive within the realities of business. And it, you know, you most definitely figured that out. That's for certain. And and to your point, Bobby, I mean, some of that has to do with pivoting, right? And some of it has to do with flowing with what, with the information that you have, because, you know, I think the tricky thing for, for any entrepreneur or entrepreneurial person is that when you have a vision, there are sort of two schools of thought. And and the first school of thought is no matter what, you're going to make that vision, that exact vision a reality. I think the second school of thought, though, is that you can have a kernel, something that you're very excited about, but the way that that's executed, the way that that comes alive can actually be flexible, that can actually be fluid. And I really believe that now after having you know started my own companies, but also having invested in others and seen so many companies sort of go through the gauntlet, what I realize is that the second path tends to be the far more high-performing path, right? I agree. Again, you're not- you're not giving up on you're not giving up on the idea. You're not giving up on 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 the kernel of what got you excited about it in the first place. But the way that it comes to life, the way that it, it, you you make it a reality, can be fluid. Yes, it has to be. I believe. In fact, the references you gave of Netflix and the like, you know, you can say there were things ahead of their time. But I love how you talk about that. You create a rally around it, and then you couple that with being open and flexible to change. Um, and I, I think that's where you end up getting a win-win, but it's, it's keeping the emotional resilience uh, to go through that process because there's a lot of waves to it. And it's human nature at times to get um, down about it. And as a result, if you don't have a support system around you, even loved ones to keep cheering you on in those moments, um, the dream can end up falling apart. So, Such a good point. This episode of the Medical Alley podcast is brought to you by Gamut One Studios. Gamut One Studios is a full-service photography and videography studio in the Twin Cities, made up of a talented team of creative professionals. Gamut One Studios has extensive experience in the medical, health, and pharma industries, and for decades has been working with companies of all sizes to produce their visual projects. So if you're looking to refresh your website or elevate your marketing materials with new product photos, headshots, or corporate videos, Check out their work at GamutOneStudios.com. And so now your book, your book dives into the topic of how successful people are backable. And pardon me, who says, what exactly does backable mean, Sunil? And, and, you know, and it's also the title of the book. So what's the inspiration that led you to writing this book? And, and how do you think your book is relevant to members of Medical Alley? Yeah, you know, so the reason that I wrote the book is because 
I was trying to figure out how to get my company off the ground. And in order to do that, I, I felt like eventually uh, I dug far, far enough into my own pockets. I needed to go out and I needed to raise money for it. Now, I did not have a successful track record at that point as, as a startup founder, um, which meant I had to go and I had to convince uh, people to take a chance on me take a chance on something new, take a chance on something that was unproven. Not only was the idea that we were creating, not only did that not exist, but again, I didn't have a track record of being somebody who could bring new ideas necessarily to life. And, you know, again, I made the mistake in those meetings of believing that just because I had a good idea uh, and just because I could sort of point to big market numbers, that was going to be the ingredient of getting investors excited. Mm. And I realized that it, it just wasn't it wasn't that easy. Now, I'd gone to business school and I'd sort of learned how to sort of present to an investor. And, you know, there's a formula that that they give you in business school and it's all around the pitch deck and okay. here are the things you need to include in the pitch deck. But what I found is that they didn't really talk about the intangibles of what happens in those meetings. I didn't learn things like the conviction that you need walking in, right? And the fact that the, that if you don't believe in your own idea, if you haven't taken your time to convince yourself first, for example, then how is anybody else going to be convinced? And there were certain things that I wasn't doing in order to prepare myself for these meetings that, again, I hadn't learned in business school or I hadn't learned from most, most of the classic books on entrepreneurship that I wanted to learn. And so what I started to do is I started to study people who I thought were incredibly gifted at what I call being backable. They were able to convince people to take a chance on something new, even if they didn't have a track record in actually performing or doing that thing. Then I started to unpack what were the secrets? What were the things that they were doing differently inside these situations? And I started to see some patterns. And really I wrote, I wrote the book almost as an afterthought because I needed those patterns. In order to become an entrepreneur, in order to get my business off the ground, I needed to learn this. But as I started to learn these things, I started to put them down on paper and shared them with other entrepreneurs who were also struggling in Silicon Valley. And eventually enough of them said, my gosh, why aren't you publishing this? That I said, all right, maybe I'll, maybe it's time to write a book about it too. Cool. So, you know, if you were to pull one thing from that, how do you think it's relevant to, the, to Medical Alley? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I I I, I find really fascinating, and and I think this is still true today, is that as leaders um, or people who are who are leading an initiative, by by leaders you don't necessarily need to be leading a team. You could be leading a project. You could be leading something in your own personal life. But oftentimes, what we what we find is that when we're trying to get other people on board, we've sort of been conditioned to walk into a room and tell people exactly what it is they need to do right? Like, here is my vision. Here are all the details. Here's what we need to execute. Now let's go. And what I found is that people who are backable, people who, who are able to build this momentum, Bobby, that you and I are talking about, very rarely do they approach it that way. They do what I call flipping outsiders into insiders. So they don't treat other people like outsiders of the project. They treat them like insiders, like it's their idea as well. There's a there's a uh, you know there's a study that I always find fascinating. A group out of Harvard that came up with the concept of the IKEA effect. The IKEA effect, and basically the IKEA effect basically tells us that we place up to five times the amount of value on something that we help build than something than something we simply buy off the shelf. Right, same exact object, but if you helped build it, 
you're going to place five times the amount of value. And the reason that matters and the reason that's relevant to, I think, us as, as an association and, and the work that we're trying to do is that oftentimes we walk in trying to, to get buyers of our ideas. But what we need to be doing is we need to be walking into a room or getting on a screen or wherever we are and finding builders, right? People who feel like builders on our project. And, you know, that that's a very different approach. But if you can make people feel like builders rather than buyers, there's a whole new level of energy that they're going to end up bringing to your idea, right? And all the stuff that we're talking about, Bobby, about feeling alone, which loneliness is is already, you know, such a widespread epidemic. But for people who are entrepreneurial, the records are even, the numbers are even higher, right? And so if you can get other people feeling like they're building with you, as opposed to just like nodding their heads and buying along with what you have to say, it ends up creating, I think, a whole new level of momentum to make an idea come to life. I believe in that. I mean, I, I totally get it and I resonate with what you're saying because I, uh, I try to practice that myself. At the end of the day, I look at it as a partnership or an investment. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so, I don't use the word to build with us, but even at Medical Alley, we talk about our partners and we talk about those who invest in us and invest in the community versus historically thinking of it as purchasing a membership. Because at the end of the day, we think about what we're building for the future on behalf of healthcare innovation and not just to do it for the state or the region, but to do it globally because every one of these companies in some way today touch a patient around the world. So I, yeah. I I get what you're saying. It's cool. Well, you know, in closing, we're so excited to have you as a keynote speaker at our summit coming up in February. And without giving too much away, what can attendees expect to take away from your keynote address that day? Mm. Well, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be with with this community because I can I can already feel the energy and that you have built and and you know I think the thing that I'm most um, interested and excited I think to share is that really if I was to summarize the past ten years of work and and you were to say hey you've gone around the world and you've studied hundreds of of extraordinary leaders now and not just in healthcare but from Oscar winning filmmakers to founders of iconic companies to leaders inside large organizations. And you were to say to me, hey, what's the one thing? What's the one thing that matters most that you learned? What I would say is that if you if you compare high momentum teams and leaders, people who are able to build momentum over time versus those who fizzle out, those who end up losing momentum over time, the teams and leaders who have high potential but lose momentum over time, very rarely do they run out of time very rarely do they run out of talent. Very rarely, I think, do they even run out of resources. What they most often run out of is energy. They don't run out of time or talent or even resources. They run out of energy. And I, I think that's really important for us as a community to sort of step back and think about because when it comes to entrepreneurship or entrepreneurial projects, one of the things that I think we focus on a lot is financial runway, right? Do we have enough financial runway to get a project off the ground or a product off the ground or a team off the ground? But the thing that we, we are now starting to realize coming out of the pandemic that we have to pay equal, if not more attention to, is what I call emotional runway, emotional runway which is literally, do we have enough energy in the tank? Do I as a leader have enough energy in the tank? Does the people, do the people around me have enough energy in the tank to get an idea off the ground? 
Because if we don't have the energy, then we can have the time and we can have the talent and we can have the ideas and we can even have the resources. But if we don't have the energy, then it never comes alive. And so that's the leadership characteristic, I think, in healthcare now that is becoming far more important than it ever has before. How do I build my own emotional runway? And how do I build the emotional runway for the people around me, too? I love it. Well, I can hardly wait to have you on the stage and addressing our audience here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And uh, we'll do our best to uh, not have a major snowstorm the week you arrive like we did this week. <laughs> well, either way, either way, I will be there, Bobby, and cannot wait. Oh, thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you and have, have a marvelous holiday. And um, we'll see you in the new year. Hey, likewise, warm winter wishes to you and your family and everybody who's listening. Thank you, Sunil. Thank you for listening to the Medical Alley podcast today. For more information on the 2023 Health Transformation Summit, go to medicalalleysummit.org. <music>